Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Never doubt six. Never doubt six. Never doubt him. Never. Straight No Chaser on Dogs by Nature. Now, here's your host with the most, my dad, Thelonious Seven. David Njoku. There you go. Tight end, Miami. A matchup, he ain't really playing. There we go, 85 in your face with a cheap slam. There you go, 85 in your face with a cheap slam. 85, 85 in your face with a cheap slam. He on an island playing government. There we go, 85 in your face with a cheap slam. 85 in your face. Brothers and sisters, I hope this transmission finds you well. My name is Thelonious Seven, and you, you're listening to Straight No Chaser on Dogs by Nature. It is great to be with you as I process this latest Cleveland Browns victory. It's now a Monday evening on the 26th of November. The Browns just having overcome their opponent 
in the Cincinnati Bengals for their first road victory in what 37 attempts not only was this their first road victory in ages but it's their first back to back victory since the 2015 campaign I find that quite remarkable to be honest with you and for me Uh, Just a couple of weeks ago Three weeks ago to be honest For the first time in the year I was turning to a website That I called Tankathon Tankathon Tankathon.com Last year literally uh, For the greater portion Of the year I was tuned Into Tankathon and checking the odds That the Browns would get the first Pick in the draft The pick which turned into Baker Mayfield of course And also checking the odds on that from the Texans that turned into Denzel Ward as well I mean Tankathon is the site that people fixate on when their teams have no chance of making the playoffs and when the Browns were sitting at 2-6-1 that was the first week I checked into Tankathon but in the last couple of weeks in the space of this brief win streak over the Bengals and over of course the Falcons things have gotten different things have turned around it's a different organization, it's a different place and as we look forward into the coming five games, the five last remaining games of the season we were looking at the screen as the coverage on CBS faded out and we saw these three words the three words that I was hoping going into December we'll be able to have attached to the Cleveland Browns and those three words were in the hunt Cleveland Browns now are definitely in the hunt I can't believe it can't believe it it is finally true the Browns are in the hunt going into December and we owe it all to one one guy You know, in this episode, I wanted to get into girls in football, talk about the four realms of NFL competition, also touch on the fifth and sixth elements. The fifth and sixth elements, of course, specific, something much, much more specific than all that. And talk about one huge. Swimming, see, 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 see
Jackson's pride is completely gone. It's in the lake and it's swimming. And now it is Baker Mayfield who is now driving that bus. And it is a completely different feeling as a Cleveland Browns fan. I don't even really know what to do with myself in some way. We always talk a lot about when we know the game is over, when we know the Browns won a game. And I'll tell you when I knew the Browns were going to win that game. I knew the Browns were going to win that game as soon as Baker Mayfield took the ball, drove down the field, and had an opening drive touchdown for the first time in who knows how long. As soon as that happened, the minute that this happened, I knew it was over. I knew it was over. And once the Browns were up 28-7 to at the end of the first half, yeah, I mean, you got the feeling. You got the feeling. That's more than a feeling by that point, right? And even in the second half, even in the second half as the, the, the lead seemingly dwindled. And even at that play where 
Jeff Driscoll threw that ball and completed that pass on fourth down only to have it called back due to an illegal shift penalty. Like, even then, even then I knew that the Browns weren't going to lose. And it's funny because so many times as games break down in the end and situations in, in the last year, that's been losses for Cleveland. These have been games that the Browns have lost in the past. But in this case, in this game, at this time, it just didn't seem like it was the case. It didn't seem like it was going to happen. And all of a sudden, I realized why. I realized why it wasn't like that. And it was because of Hugh, Jack- it's because of Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson is now on the opposite sideline. And, and since he's on the opposite sideline, those games where it seemed like we were going to win and for some reason, for somehow, some way managed to lose. All those times we snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. That no longer seemed to be a problem anymore. I mean, it wasn't the Oakland game anymore. It wasn't the Oakland situation anymore. It seems like the tools, the skills, the resources that we have in the player side of things are all being marshaled in a positive direction. And it seems like the fans can recognize this. The fans know. They see it's something different. And that's why when we're sitting here at 4-6-1, and one, the people in Cleveland have got to be feeling like they've, they're witnessing something truly dangerous for those who are attempting to score up against us. It's a much different team than it was in the past. Its resources are now organized, marshaled in the same direction, and now pose a legitimate threat to all the other teams in the AFC Central. There's a possibility. And, I mean, right now, there are five games remaining in the schedule. The chances of the Browns finding a way to win all five, which would have, of course, have been seven when it's all said and done. The, the chances that they can sit there and run off seven straight wins to end the season, it's not very likely. But when you look at the competition going into this, you have to ask yourself. You have to ask yourself. You have to wonder if it's in fact more than just a pipe dream, that it's an actual possibility, that it's an actual realistic chance that something could happen magical to end this season. And you, it's funny because you knew it. You knew it in the Jets game. You knew when Baker came in then. You could tell something was different. Of course, there was a resistance. There was something holding this force of change back in Hugh Jackson. But now that he's gone, and now that Mayfield has a chance to reestablish himself within the Browns' order, there is a real, real, real chance that the magic could happen this year and that it's already beginning to happen right now. I'm more than just a little optimistic right now about the Browns. The hype, the excitement, it's kind of died down after the relatively slow start at the beginning of this year. But going into the next game coming up 
against the Texans. There we are going to find out whether or not there's a legitimate chance of this happening because the Texans have a real defense and the Texans have a legitimate weapon, the quarterback position. A guy who will square up in a game against Baker Mayfield. And I think we're going to have a second time to sit back and reflect upon this game later in the week. We're going to talk a little bit about the Texans and what they're going to bring. And our likelihood of being able to pull out a win in this matchup. I feel if the Browns can get by the Texans, I think it's wheels up for the organization. And they've got to be thinking about playoffs. I mean, they are already thinking about playoffs now. There's no question that they think that they're a dangerous team and the other teams aren't going to want to face them. Going into this last portion of the year, though, I am fairly certain that the noise will get loud after this hurdle because this is the last real legitimate hurdle for the Browns going forward. They got a tough game against Denver as well. Denver's no slouch. I don't want to like say that it's not a a real concern going into Denver. Denver's going to be a tough game. But I think the one that they really have to look at, the one that they look at as the one that has to be the barrier to really keeping team realistically out is this weekend's game against the Texans. We're going to go back to it at some point, though, for sure. For sure. For sure. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking a bit about Condoleezza Rice joining the Browns organization in the head coaching capacity. I mean, I know the the topic was brought up by um, by um, old Meathead, as it were. Meaty brought it up in conversation, I guess, talking about the fact that the coach could, in fact, be a female. And then the name Condoleezza Rice brought up by Adam Schefter. Uh, often uh, led to a lot of trepidation maybe in the last week I don't know how many people really were concerned about this when I first heard the rumor of Condoleezza Rice being floated as the possible head coaching candidate for the Browns I mean it didn't seem like any type of a serious thing to me and that's because I feel that John Dorsey is a legitimate GM and he wouldn't make that type of mistake And people floated a lot of notions like, hey, this is John Dorsey going out there and trying to see if there are any leaks, trying to see who's going to spread what, floating some things out there to see what sticks. And and I don't I don't know. Maybe that is right. That sounds like it could be true. But for me, I, I it just sounds like Shefty, maybe not so Shefty anymore, you know. Not that reliable, airtight type of source for information that he used to be. I mean, he floats this one. He also floated the situation with a a trade uh, or Jalen Ramsey or something going on that maybe never really was serious. So for me, I always question like whether or not this means that maybe Shefty isn't really the guy that we used to think of him as of in the past. 
But as for Condoleezza Rice, I mean, how much worse could she have done than the coach that they just got rid of? And in my opinion, I actually think a, a person like Condoleezza Rice would have been a far better selection uh, to be a head coach than Hugh Jackson was in this last iteration. In fact, I'm pretty sure she couldn't have done worse. For the most part, she would have to hire an office of a defensive coordinator to basically run the team, and she would be, in some ways, a figurehead. And in some ways, as a CEO of the team, the way that Hugh Jackson was in the past, as a CEO, she would be a tremendous candidate. She has that scowl. She has that look, that seriousness, and that cachet. I'm not saying that she's going to be able to get people to run uh, through a wall or that she's not going to have people questioning her on her acumen or understanding. I'm just telling you that as a figurehead, as a person, as a leader, it is a, it's a reasonable idea, a reasonable situation. However, I really think it would be a much better fit were she in the third realm and the realm of the, the GM per se. I mean, there's definitely examples of females who have survived and been successful in the GM realm, Amy Trask. And I think that it's not so hard to imagine somebody in this, in this realm doing uh, and kind of zigging as other people are zagging, if you will. My, the way I think about this is when I think about uh, decision-making at a high level, I always consider the implications and how they relate to poker. And when I play poker a lot, one thing I found is that in a game with where girls are at the table, generally speaking, just generally speaking, boys don't have much idea of what they are thinking. I don't know. They don't know when they're, you know, honestly holding something and being and pushing you out or they don't know when it's a bluff. They really don't have any sense when a girl does something, how to read this energy, how to read this emotion. They're used to playing a game with boys. And when a sharp, smart thinking girl comes in with a different perspective, I mean, it's like easy money. I've seen it. I've seen it happen time and time again. I've been a victim of it before as well. Just because you're just used to things being a certain way, somebody has a different way of looking at things. And I feel like maybe that would be the case for Condoleezza Rice. I think she might have a different spin. I think she might provide a different type of credibility. And it might be digging while everybody else zags. Maybe it will be that way. Uh, for me, though, I, I just can't see it happening as you do need to have a voice of experience within the organization in that position for sure. But in some capacity, it doesn't sound strange or crazy to me. What it does, though, is it does open us up for a discussion of the four football realms. And I've <laughs> it's funny, like I've actually made a couple of shows that I haven't been able to release due to timing, etc. Where I talked a lot about these realms. So I'm going to try to go back. Well, I'm sure you've never heard me say it before, so it's all new to you for the first time. But essentially, in the last couple of weeks, I've been breaking down the realms of the realms of football competition. In the NFL, there are four main ways that competition takes place, four main realms where NFL competition happens. And the first realm is the realm I described as the 
primary realm. It's the player's realm. The player's ball. It's a realm that we watch every Sunday to where we saw this week Baker Mayfield step up. It's the realm we saw the players be players. And the Browns be the Browns for the first time in a long time. And generally speaking, the game that we love, the game that we see, the strategies that we see, the field, action, all takes place in the first realm. But in addition to this realm, there are two other very serious realms in which competition takes place in the NFL that also kind of shadow this realm, this initial primary realm. Realm two, of course, is a coaching realm. It's the realm where Hugh Jackson got handed a football by one of the players. And when Demarius Randall handed him a football on that Sunday afternoon, every last shred of dignity that Hugh Jackson had left. I mean, if there was any left at that point. Anyways, with his team down two scores and losing the ball, only to have Baker Mayfield go down the field, cash in another score. Another score. Well, the problem in Cleveland for the longest time has been an issue of confusion between the realms, conflation between the realms, perhaps. In an army sense, People talk about this as uh, fraternization between the ranks. Like when the enlisted men have relationships, friendships, partnerships with people that are the officer class. And generally speaking, there's nothing wrong with enlisted men being close to the people in the officer class. There's nothing wrong with this situation from an ideological perspective. However, When things go wrong and when the bullets start flying, when there's too much conflation, when there's too much communication and dissension and issues where people are crossing out of their lane, getting into other people's lanes, when that kind of stuff happens too often and the bullets are flying, you got real problems because the people in different realms have completely different aims and missions and goals to accomplish. Freddie Kitchens, I think, in a couple of shows ago, I, I had him at the beginning of the show. He was talking about how players are after stats and that the stats bring money. And that's why players are motivated to do what they're doing. They're trying to win. They're trying to produce so that they can get paid, so they can show that they're, in fact, worth the money that they're being offered by the GMs as they build their teams. So that's the first and second realm. The players realm. The coaches realm. The realm of Hugh Jackson. Now the realm of. Greg Williams here in Cleveland. And all of this seems to have been organized. By the work finally. Of John Dorsey in realm number three. John Dorsey is able to establish his realm. Of player building. And it's a whole other realm of competition than the other two realms, exactly. And in some ways, like I was telling you before, they've got to keep their interests separate. Because of all the realms, 
the one where winning is most important is the players realm that winning that production that's really what makes a team keeps a team good enough to be together for long enough to be successful you gotta win in the players realm to get that feeling to get that attitude that you're gonna be a dominant team in the league that that can only occur in a winning environment it has to happen by example winning is hugely important to players realm and while it's important at the players realm it's slightly less important for the coaches for coaches perhaps perhaps coaches need to be thinking not so much in terms of winning this specific game but to be the best team possible to be in a position to win the most games possible and that's not necessarily thinking about every individual game per se it takes a bigger view and additionally round three the realm of the GM cares even less about winning specific games and more about building a culture, an entire framework or structure of a team. This team builder's realm, I find uh, incredibly fascinating. It's interesting to think how people work at this level and think about things at this level. Well, then, of course, there is the fourth realm, and that's the realm of ownership. Literally, at the realm of ownership, at the GM's realm, at the ceiling of the GM's realm, perhaps, the realm of ownership exists. And at the realm of ownership, it's completely different from the other three realms because in it, literally, winning and losing is completely unimportant to this realm. By the time you get to the fourth realm, winning and losing doesn't matter. But what does matter is the continued existence of the league. Realm 4, the ownership realm, is the existential realm. Maybe even the God realm, perhaps. But the realm that frames or that provides for the existence of the league at every level below. Financially. With the spirit. Also the realm that provides for the rules and the competition of the other realms below. But in the end, to this realm, to Realm 4, it literally does not matter whether a team wins or loses. All that matters is the continued existence of the NFL pie. The shield. That's all that matters there. And when I hear the discussions about Jimmy Haslam concerning himself with the issues of Realm 3 being a de facto GM and concerning himself with issues in Realm 2 and even Realm 1, considering playing, trading for players uh, with second and third round picks, okaying and approving these kind of actions, it's just, yeah, it's the thing that really bugged me the most about this organization. And right now, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the tide has kind of turned and that John Dorsey is beginning to take his place of prominence in the organization. And I'm hoping it's going to move forward in a positive direction from here on out with a centralized place of authority, a centralized voice of authority in the GM position. And it's so, so important because really you can can cut players, you can cut, you can move on from coaches, you can start up new and do things again. Of course, it's better to have the same guys in place for a while. You can move in and out of that stuff. 
But one thing you can't move on from is that, yeah, it just sets you back so long. Because, of course, people try to get their own guys in. Easy talks about it all the time. Every time the GM has got to go, put his own guys in the organization so that so that he feels like his position or his uh, ideology or scheme is actually in place. And once he has his guys there, if he's not winning soon enough, he's going to be out and then somebody else is here. At least that's how it is if you're in Cleveland. Like I said, I really hope that Dorsey finally becomes the guy to break this trend and begin to be, build some stability within this, within this position so that the organization can be more secure from, from top to bottom. Well, that's my ideas basically on the realms of the Browns. And I just wanted to say as I close this episode out, I really think that there is a strong possibility that since Jackson has moved on and that Baker has come to this position of prominence in the organization, I want to say I think feel there's a, a really strong possibility that this is the this is the magical ending that we might be in store for a magical finish. The kind of season that you suffer three, four, five, six, seventeen, eighteen years to finally experience. And for me, like I said, I at the right now I am just happy to be in the hunt in December. It, it may be a pipe dream. I mean, we'll see this Sunday whether or not they can do something in the, against the Texans. It could be a pipe dream, but for me. I'm hoping against hope that something magical could happen. This team looks and feels dangerous. And as we close out these last five games, I'm going to be hoping, hoping against hope that the playoffs aren't just the playoffs for somebody else. And with that, we're going to put this one in the books. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to make dogs by nature a part of your day. Leave a comment in the comment section as it helps us facilitate discussion with you, the best fans in all of professional sports. Well, that was your dose of the straight truth. You've been listening to Straight No Chaser. I'm your host, Thelonious Seven on Dogs by Nature. Take care. You've been listening to Straight No Chaser with my dad, Thelonious Seven on DVN Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. 
But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.